0: Are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound gets sponsorship from Gourd VPN. Did you know that you can produce vessels for holding water, soil, or just about anything in your own backyard? Gourds are nature's vessels. Use gourds today for secure vessel production this harvest season. Gourd VPN. Vessel production naturally. Hello to everyone out there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm your host and my name is Steve. Before we get into the interview segment on today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about the philosophy of Rootbound. It's something that's been evolving as we've recorded more shows, and it's something that's solidifying a little bit more, I think. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that at the top of the show. If you would have asked me back when I started the podcast, hey Steve, why plants, I probably would have said something like, well, I'm just like really into plants now, and I want to talk about them. I was definitely inspired by my friends Maggie and Ashley's podcast, The Watering Hole, where they tell each other about animals. And since I'm, like, really into plants now, I thought, well, why don't I do something similar with plants, and uh, instead of having, you know, a co-host, let me invite other people to come talk about plants, because I really just like talking to other people, and it's a good excuse to reach out to old friends, or make new friends, and uh, that sounded great to me, I'm totally a people person. So that's, that's how it kind of started. But as we've recorded more episodes, and I've heard from all these different people about plants that mean something to them, I think my philosophy behind the program has evolved a bit and now if you were to ask me hey steve why plants i think i would say something more like outside of other human beings our relationship with plants is is more fundamental than than anything else you know if you think about the the other living things that we interact with on a daily basis besides other humans plants are like right there, you know, if you, you know, animals, how many, how many animals do you truly interact with on a day-to-day basis? I mean, we all have like pets. Some of us eat the meat from animals. You know, those are like relationships we have with animals. But, you know, think about the plants we interact with. I mean, we, we, we eat so many more kinds of plants. We interact with plants on a daily basis and you're walking across the grass and you're walking under a tree you know, they're the, even in the city, there's there's weeds popping up from the sidewalk. They're, they're all around us all the time. We rely on them for things like building materials, our clothing, food, as I mentioned before. And, and the air we breathe is coming from plants. So, so that relationship with plants is really fundamental. And so talking to people about plants that mean something to them, I think, is a great way to explore our relationship with plants. And I think, you know, in our modern society that relationship is sometimes downplayed a little bit or, or, or looked over or taken for granted. And I think, for me, this podcast has been a great way to analyze that and to think about it and maybe improve my relationship with plants. And, you know, there are people out there around the world who have a stronger relationship with plants, and I think it starts with just thinking about it and thinking about plants. And so that's, I think, the philosophy behind this podcast. We have such a strong connection with plants so let's explore it with each other let's talk to each other about plants and maybe we can all grow our relationship with plants together which i think this episode is a great example of that in the interview segment and just one little production note there was some unavoidable construction in the background so if you hear any uh, electric screwdrivers going apologies for that but i don't think it's too distracting let's meet our guest since the dawn of human creation we have looked to plants to nourish us with their flesh shelter us with their fiber, and enrich our world with their beauty. Hi, Nancy Ray. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Rootbound.
1: Hi, Steve. I'm really happy to be here, and thank you for providing such an interesting platform for your listeners and fellow plant lovers.
0: Thanks so much. Do you have a plant to share with us today?
1: I do. Today, I'd like to talk about sage.
0: Wonderful. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about sage from you, and uh so, actually, spoiler alert, I'm also going to talk about sage today, but I think you're talking about a specific uh, a specific kind of sage, and I'm curious to, if that is the case.
1: Yes, actually, um there are three specific uh, species speciations of sage that we use as the Nadene or Southern Athabascan, more commonly known as Apache people.
0: Cool, oh, so wow, I didn't actually realize there were three. You, um, what, what are those three?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm not gonna talk about the two that we actually commonly use, um, but I am gonna talk about one that everybody's been using, which is the Selvia apiana. Um, the Selvia apiana, or more commonly, white sage, is the white desert sage that's most commonly being used for sales um, and used for smudging, and I think that's the one that most people kind of think about, or it comes to mind and heart um, if they've been to powwows or to other ceremonies of Lakota or or other relatives of our Native American tribes.
0: Very interesting. Yes, I'm. I'm. You know, a little bit familiar with white sage. Of course, I've seen people using it in, at, for smudging, as you said. And maybe you could actually d- define smudging in a little bit because I'm not sure everyone understands what that is but I also used to live in the desert in California and so I had seen some of it then or at least I think it was the white sage um but I'm excited to learn more about it and I know that there is um I know that it's a very can be a very complicated topic particularly with how it's harvested
1: Yes, and I really appreciate the sensitivity to that. Um, in our Apache or Na Dene, Southern Athabascan traditions, um, we don't ever just take. There is always a method of protocol and etiquette, um, especially when it comes to our beautiful plant relatives. In our traditions of Apache ways of seeing things, we believe that every being has its own sentient life. And so that also includes white sage.
0: Very interesting. Um, I-, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more and what that means for when when uh, someone is, you know, harvesting sage to use.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I've had a lot of non-native friends who've who've asked about this particular topic Um, and sometimes it's difficult because we don't always as native people have a protocol to include people outside of our own blood relations or our own relatives in this knowledge Um, but specifically with sage you know there's a certain protocol meaning a way or a method that everything is harvested Um, one of the things that we have seen is You know, people will see the plant. They get super excited. Sometimes it grows over six feet tall in the desert. And they've seen it at ceremony. And, you know, they're non-native. They don't know any better. And they go out there and they just pluck it from the earth. And they just say, yes, I've got sage. And and I'm so excited. And I'm going to dry it. And I'm going to use this as medicine. But the process of medicine begins way before you even come to place your feet on the earth in the desert. um, Or your hands even near the sage. There's prayer. Uh, there's requesting permission. And I think that's a really important protocol that we learn as Na, Dene or Southern Athabascan children. We are always taught that we keep our hands to ourselves, uh, that we never take anything without being invited, and that we always pray and request consent from uh, those ancestors that have taught us the medicine who have traveled before us. So a protocol um, is just that understanding of how we interact with our plant relatives, not, not just taking or just plucking it from the earth and getting super excited, um, but having more reverence, taking time to really think about what we are doing sustainably, what we are doing conscientiously, and then how that process is also part of medicine
0: that is really interesting and really well said. You know, that's something that I I'm trying to think about more. I'm starting to get into foraging and this idea of going into nature and collecting wild plants. And I think I'm always trying to be very conscious of not to take too much, but I think there's also the thing that I'm lacking is this is this being more like in communication with the plants, right? And like this, this idea of asking for permission. So that's really interesting to me. And I wonder if you uh, have any uh, thoughts about just daily, daily interactions with plants. Like how, how, what are some steps that some people can go to, like, I don't know, be more thoughtful in the way they engage with wild plants?
1: I think, you know, I, I really love that question, Steve, because you're starting to demonstrate two very important human becoming or human being traits. One is compassion, And the other is consent. Um, One of the things that I've noticed that's a difference in my culture is that it's very strict in terms of how the sun comes to be carried in the morning, how we greet the day with gratitude, how we see that every living item, if you want to call it an item, being, object, um, (laughs) a classification of, of life, um, has its own energy. And so if you think about a seed and start with something as simple as, let's say, a sage seed, it's very small, almost as small as a mustard seed. But when we plant it, we don't simply just, you know, dig in the earth and throw it in there and walk away and wait for to see what happens. In our culture, you know, we look over the ground. We we know this is our ancestors who have been buried or have been lifted in smoke across the entire continent, that the land is our mother, that we place a new life inside of her, and we place it in an area where there's sunlight and and water and wind. And so when we think about how life becomes, right, we think about all of this energy, we want to take a moment and pause and be in gratitude for that. So... In a native culture, that would be a song. It would be a song we're taught from our grandmothers that we would sing to the seed as we placed it, covered it, watered it, came back to it each morning and and thought of it with love. Very similar to parenting or very similar to how you might think of taking care of your dog or your cat or even your goldfish. Some people like reptiles. (laughs) But all life. So treating plants with that same regard of um, speaking to it you know, what, what do we say to something that we ask for permission? We say, you know, to the sage or to the juniper tree, I, I'm simply a humble human being that requires sustenance or uh, medicine from you, and I'm asking your permission to exchange our lives together, my breath, your life, so that we might heal my body and my mind and my hands to become stronger, so that I may plant again, so it's a reciprocal, it's a reciprocal thought of compassion, it's a reciprocal thought of becomingness um, and giving the plant the same respect that you would give yourself.
0: Very well said, I think I think I get that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know in my own time work through that, <laughs> but I think that's, that's very, very well said. Um, maybe getting back a little bit to sage and you mentioned uh medicine and i feel like i talked about this an episode a while ago i feel like there's lots of different concepts for the word medicine and i think you know mm-hmm. for my culture you think of medicine as something that comes in a bottle and it's specifically for like you know you have a sore throat you take some medicine for that and i'm wondering if you know, maybe in general but maybe particularly in regards to white sage if you could talk about that definition of medicine
1: yes so in our culture's definition of medicine it is a process of healing. It is something external to you, whether it's a song, a plant, a place, or a feeling. Um, that's why we refer to mind, the body, spirit, uh, those interconnections uh, with the greater of creation, um, and how those how those qualities of the human become healed through the process of introduction of the medicine. So let's take an idea like penicillin. <laughs> that comes from, from mold. That comes from a plant, right? So yep. in order for, for it to heal our bodies, it has to go through a process to become a tablet or a liquid. Right. And then we take that plant and we put it in our bodies and it finds our little genetic codes or molecules and it figures out what is us and what is not us. And it simply removes what is not us so that the body can heal. And so, you know, medicine is then an external plant product that we have changed and modified, placed into our bodies and our bodies then enter a process of becoming well again from whatever illness or disease. With white sage, um, it does that not only for human beings, but it does that for the earth. Uh, It actually helps to cleanse and pull toxins from the earth and that's why it's so important to leave root structures intact and never just tug it out of the earth, right? Um, It's important to have permission from whoever's ancestral land you're on and trust me when I say the reservations are not that far away from any uh, mountain or national site, But it's it's a process of asking that permission of something external to enter the body, mind and spirit to help cleanse it, remove toxins. Um, So similar in definition, just a different way of kind of looking at it because we need the plants directly in our our culture.
0: Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I think maybe... uh... I think we, we jumped right into some super philosophical stuff, which I really enjoyed, but maybe getting back at a little bit of basics, I wonder if, can you describe white sage to someone who's never seen it before? I think I think a lot of us are familiar with sage, you know, at the supermarket, but what is white sage and how, how is it different and what does it look like?
1: Sure. So the sage that, you know, we can find at the supermarkets, that comes from a European seed. So it doesn't have the same essential oils. It doesn't have the same texture. So if you were to look at that sage, it's kind of warty or it has little bumps along it, right? It kind of is white, green, and silver. And I'm using that because that's what we're most familiar with. If you were looking at white sage, you would be looking specifically in the desert. You would be looking for something six feet tall, so something usually taller than yourself. Um, And it would have to be in full sunlight. And when it's in full sunlight, The undercurrent of green is covered by the medicine, and it's a white downy, kind of very soft feel. Um, The leaves are extended longer. Sometimes they're frayed into three prongs. Sometimes they're a a very nice um, edge to it. And with it being that large, you're gonna think about the stems. Now in common garden sage or European sage, the stems are edible. They're kind of thin. You know, you can chew them, not too bad. with white desert sage it's woody so you're looking more kind of like a shrub consistency if you're looking at six feet tall you're looking at larger leaves you're looking at you know um fully in the desert it's not going to be usually something that is soft it's going to be more of a woody type um branch in the center and the smell is going to be very different it's going to actually have um, a medicinal smell whereas sage from european sage has kind of a sweet scent that makes you really want to put it in your mouth especially when you're eating sausage right mm-hmm. so so can, so this is even though white sage is something you could eat it's not something that we would typically um, put into food the way we use european sage it's it's a different process of medicine
0: very interesting um and then maybe we touched on this a little bit but i know at least a little bit that one of the major issues with, with white sage is this issue of over-harvesting or inappropriate harvesting. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that or any guidelines. I know I think I've definitely seen like white sage at, at Whole Foods um, bundled up and, and I've always wondered what the deal with that was. Uh, so yeah, what, do you have anything to say about that harvest, over-harvesting or any issues with like that?
1: I do, actually I would ask every listener to take a moment, take a deep breath, and think about consideration. Um, what most people don't understand about the areas that they're in, they, they'll they walk out and say, this is a wild blackberry plant. This is wild sage. But in the actuality, if you were to study history prior to 150 years ago here in southeast Colorado, our families is planted uh, in groups along mountains and along rivers, these medicines, and that's why you come across... Um, fields of them instead of just maybe one or two plants because this has been happening for over 30,000 years. So we as Apache people usually request that you don't harvest white sage, um, that if you do see it in grocery stores that you choose to go with more of rosemary or lavender or garden sage, something that's more familiar to your own genetics. Um, And that's for two reasons actually. Uh, one is allergic reaction. Not every not every plant is made for every person. And white sage specifically used by northern, eastern, and midwestern tribes uh, was planted with prayer. It was planted with the thought process that it would be used in ceremonies. Um, it's planted in the process of long-term sustainability. So what would help right now specifically as we look at at white sage it would be to continue to plant the seeds instead of take it would be to give right now instead of take and that that's a normal apache concept there's a season to plant and then three seasons later there's a harvest there's a season to then replant and another three to four years, another season to harvest. And the reason for that is because we want to give the consideration to the plant to have enough time to grow and to mature. So we would ask not to harvest, but to plant.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I I, I, I definitely uh, think it makes sense to, to not harvest something, particularly if if it's not something that you have a, cultural connection to, and particularly if people who do are asking, asking you not to. So that's, I think that's really well said. Do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about white sage to share with us?
1: I do. Um, A lot of people, we had talked about smudging. What is smudging? Um, So smudging is a process by which a dried plant is usually burned uh, with fire on charcoal or sometimes freestanding. Um, meaning, you know, I've seen people take an entire bundle of sage and light the end on fire, which always concerns me. Um, it's best to conserve sage uh, if you are going to smudge, um, or even lavender or rosemary, which is another. Uh, those are plants that we actually recommend for our, our European and, and um, American friends to use. Um, but the interesting thing about white sage is it's a par- it helps parasites um, if it's taken internally which is one of the more common uses for it. Um, it's also uplifting for your mood just to smell it. So if somebody gives you a gift of sage, right, because that happens. You know, you have a friend and they know you love plants mm-hmm. and they do go to Whole Foods and they do pick up one of those things. Let's say you get one of those. What can you do with it? You can just simply sure, sure. Hold, it, hold it and smell it. Um, you can definitely take it to a powwow and give it to an elder or a child. Uh, they would really appreciate that as a gift. You can re-gift sage. That's a beautiful thing to do. Um, but it's actually a sign of peace. And that's why we're asking not to pluck it, but to plant it. Um, if we can plant it and we can share it, it will be more abundant for everybody in the future. And in the meantime, you can use Silvia Officinalis, right, the European sage, or Sylvia Azuria, which is another uh, blue sage, or we call grandmother sage, which is often blended into the white sage. Uh, definitely, for your own homes, lavender is beautiful, Fresher under the bed for smudging. Um, well, Fresh under the bed or smudging. Don't try to smudge it under your bed. That could cause problems. <laughs> good call, good call. <laughs> Sprouting plants through billions of tiny lips Give forth oxygen to purify the air and invigorate the earth. Spreading across the planet a matrix of green, allowing all life to flourish. What other questions do you think of, can you think of about Sage? Did you have any others?
0: I I think I was going to move into a little bit, and you covered it here, because, you know, normally in the show we talk about two plants. Uh, You share a plant and I share a plant. And I think we're going to do that today, but it's going to be a little bit different because... I was gonna talk a little bit about uh the European sage. Um Great. Because I'm growing I'm growing that in my garden and, and it is one of my uh favorite herbs. And I was, you know, in preparation for you talking about white sage, I thought I would compare and contrast the two. And there's just a couple of little things that, that uh that popped out of me that popped out at me that I think um, are very interesting. And you know you may know some of these, but bear with me. Uh, maybe maybe I'll surprise you a little bit. But you did mention it's it's a scientific name, which is Salvia officinalis. Um, I think you said that that white sage is Salvia apiana, which I think means bee sage. Correct. You've got it. Great. Um, which is actually very interesting. Maybe maybe we can talk about that in a minute. I'm a beekeeper, so I'm always interested in anything bee related. Because actually, yes. maybe let's get back to that. But but Salvia <laughs> officinalis. Um, one, I always like talking about the names of plants, and I think that's really interesting, the names and what we call plants. And this one, in particular, has, has an interesting thing to me. Um, but that name, salvia, first of all, is from Latin, which means healthy. So uh, it's, it's, its historical use in Europe has, to, has been in medicine as well, which I find to be very interesting. These two you know, plants in disparate continents, but have a similar background and being used for similar things. And then that second name, officinalis, which sounds first like official... I, I read the etymology, and it's a little bit more complicated than that. It actually is something that belongs to an officina, which is the uh, the name for the herb room in a monastery. Yes. And Carl Linnaeus gave that name officinalis to plants that are commonly used in, in food or in medicine. But the thing I, I was thinking about, and I think we hear hear all about with plant names, is, is that the, the names we give plants... Reflect the dominant culture, and here we have this system of of uh, binomial nomenclature for naming plants that automatically puts the common European sage kind of above every other sage because it's the one that that you know the Europeans knew, and so when they started naming things, so you you now we have this name for the thing, which is Salvia officinalis, which makes it sound much more important than salvia apiana and i think that's a really interesting way to think about how how what we call something can influence how people think about it and i think that's uh, something to think about when you hear the name of something i always like to think about well what else is it called what do people from the area call it um and so that's it that's a, a very interesting thing to me and i, th- I thought it was interesting to, to compare these two sages there's no reason why one sage is is better than the other are more of the common sage i mean that's the, uh, people call salvia officinalis common sage but uh, I think, you know, where you're from, uh, white sage is much more common. <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, that, I, I was thinking about that with names of, of them. Um, the the cultivar of sage I have is called Berggarten sage, which is uh, German for mountain garden sage. Mm-hmm. And it's a really lovely variety. It's got these big leaves, uh, very flavorful. Um, it stays kind of short, which is nice. And it's just a very lovely, uh, a lovely um, cultivar, and I, I I got it at the farmers market a few years ago, and it grows really great right, great here in Northern Virginia, so that's good. A couple things about the uses, the there, you know, it's one of those plants. I feel like a lot of the most common plants we know about, at least from European culture, uh, they can cure anything, right? Like when you list like what they're good for, they're <laughs> like, well, they're good for all these things, which is true for sage. It was used for a cure all for almost things. But the one that is pretty, uh, the one that's not as common. And came up in several different places is apparently it's also it's good for memory and there's also been scientific studies that show that you know uh, taking a tea of common sage can help with your memory so i 'm going to try that i've never i've never actually had sage tea, but uh, it sounds interesting to me
1: I actually love sage tea um, and I use the different four different varieties depending on depending on what the, what the need is. But I will say that um, I do recommend the common sage as a tea over, say, like a pontica, which is another, another type of salvia, right? It's an, another type that we actually share in common, European and the, um, the uh, turtle island. We both have that plant, and that was more commonly used by the French And they used it in absinthe. It was one of the main ingredients as a parasitical in absinthe for the French army. And that's how they also survived malaria. So common sage, I I would say, not only good for memory, but for cleaning the lymph system, cleaning Mm. the digestive tract if you added a little of that blue sage to it. Um, So again, depending on the need or the use. But yeah, I love sage tea. I love actually a sage broth. We recommended a sage and garlic broth with a bone, bone broth for the marrow to help um help boost the immune system um, and help cleanse anything else that might be in there bacterially so that so that you'd have virus clearance. So interesting. Steve, that was really yeah. I did learn some things from you.
0: <laughs> very very good. And actually maybe maybe one last thing which I thought was super interesting is that this is I have a quote here that says um that says, although uh, uh, common sage or European sage is widely cultivated, more than half of the world's supply is still wild collected ah. in places like Albania, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Serbia, and Montenegro. And because of that, it has faced over-harvesting as well, and governments have had to step in and ask people to stop harvesting. And so that, those parallels between this, these plants I thought was very fascinating.
1: I think that's fascinating, too, because it shows that what is commonly needed is that we all take an accountable responsibility together for those plants that we both cultivate and that have been planted by ancestors in Europe and as well as North America. Um, And I think that common respect and that reverence for plants is really what's going to help us create more plants in the future and give them a happy and healthy earth so that they can abundantly live to thrive so that we have access to them for medicine as two legged people.
0: Very well said. Um, before we go, I just wanted to just change the subject just a little bit and just ask about, you know, your your herbal wellness thing you have going on and, and what you know, maybe tell tell the audience a little bit about what you're what you're doing over there in Colorado.
1: Sounds great. So I co-founded an organization called Herbal Gardens Wellness. Um, I have Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, which is an epilepsy condition of my mitochondrial DNA. I've had it my whole life. Um, And we wanted to find a way to do three things. Provide education on botanical pharmacology and access for native people and our European rural uh, friends that we have everywhere here in the mountains. Gardens to teach anthropogenic uh, gardening. We don't teach permaculture. We actually teach a very old form of 30,000 year old gardening um, and take people through orchards here in the mountains uh, that were planted by our grandfathers. And then wellness, you know, that balance of body, mind, spirit, and intellect, uh, stimulating learning how to be and how to become connected and well to creation in our own way, not just Apache way, but in a European way. Netherlands, we have friends from the Netherlands, we have friends from Australia, we've got friends from Russia, Ukraine, China. I mean, we have friends all over the world. And one of the things that we all have in common is that plants are medicine and plants are food, and the more we have reverence for them together... Um, as we teach at Herbal Gardens Wellness, the better future we have not only for our own longevity, but for the longevity of the seven generations to follow us.
0: Wonderful. Well, I think that says it all. Um, thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully.
1: It was fun, Steve. Thank you. I learned a lot from you, and this is a great show. Hello to all your listeners, and many blessings to you each. And remember, plant, don't pluck, white sage.
0: Here's a tip. Put a pinch of sage in your boots, and all day long, a spicy scent is your reward. Mmm, just uh, having a nice cup of sage tea here, and I think it's helping with... What? What is it supposed to help with again? Oh, right, that's right, memory. Got it. (laughs) little joke. Um, Anyway, I've I've never really had sage tea before, so I thought I would try it here after uh, our conversation with Nancy Ray. And uh, just a little note: If you want to learn more about Nancy Ray's uh, nonprofit Herbal Gardens Wellness, you can visit herbalgardenswellness.org and learn more about them. And if you're interested, you can also donate to the nonprofit there, which I highly recommend. One little thing that I we forgot to get into in the conversation with Nancy Ray was about the uh, scientific name for white sage, which is Salvia apiana, which I mentioned means bee sage. And that's really interesting because it's a plant that bees are really attracted to. But the one little fun beekeeper fact that I often find myself bringing up when I'm talking with non-beekeepers is the fact that the honeybee, the one we all know, the one that we get honey from, is not native to the continent called North America. It is from Europe and Africa. And so when this is called bee sage, it's not talking about the honeybee. It's talking about the variety of other native bees Uh, in Colorado and in the deserts all around the western part of this continent that are highly attracted to white sage. So I think that's a really fun fact to think about. And I think those other bees don't get enough credit for what they do. They don't live in as big of hives as honeybees. Um, Some of them are just solitary. They live completely by themselves. Some of them, if you're not looking closely, you might confuse them with a fly. Um, But there are more species of solitary bees and bumblebees and carpenter bees than there are honeybees. In fact, there's only eight species of honeybee, and the other kinds of bees just dwarf that. But we we give the honeybee a lot of credit, which it deserves credit. It's a cool bug. Um, but we I think we maybe give it a little bit too much credit just because we love the honey so much. I do. I love the honey. But I also try to always remember those other bees and the hard work they do to pollinate plants, not just white sage and not just in colorado but all over the world bees do a lot of work not just honeybees but all bees something to learn maybe you didn't know that that their honeybees are not native to north america i i find people don't know that often um they're a little bit more like a cow or or a chicken you know they're an imported agricultural species but that doesn't mean they're not important i'm a beekeeper i i keep them so they definitely are important but you know it's fun to know the the like history behind Animals and plants, and how they got to be where they are. So, yeah, I think that name, uh, Salvia Apiana, kind of sparked that in my memory and uh, thought I would share that with you all today. And I think that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Nancy Ray Cochise Clark. Nancy Ray is Nadine, Southern Athabascan, commonly known as Southeastern Colorado Apache. Nancy Ray is the co founder of Herbal Gardens Wellness, a traditional native healthcare lifestyle medicine organization. You can learn more about the organization at herbalgardenswellness.org. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington, grower of the Bear Garden sage. Music by Christian Kriegeskota, fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, just don't pluck the white sage. Gord VPN, Vessel Production, Naturally